Hi, everyone. This is Alicia Halliday, and this is the ASF Weekly Science Podcast. Today, an ode to iPSCs, or induced pluripotent stem cells. A new book edited by ASF SAB member Manny DeChico Bloom brought together ideas across neurodevelopmental disorders in how iPSCs can better understand things like schizophrenia, autism spectrum disorder, and intellectual disability. I learned a lot from reading some of the chapters, and I want to share what I learned with you. Now, reading the whole book is a lot, and it was only published a few days ago. This is a 15-minute podcast and not a graduate-level neurobiology course, so please manage your expectations appropriately. There's probably things that I'm leaving out. But I'll cut right to it. Scientists know that autism is a developmental condition, the same way that schizophrenia is because it starts before birth. Scientists know this from decades' worth of clinical, neurobiological, genetic, and postmortem brain tissue research. First, I'm going to make a shameless plug here. I want to thank the Autism Brain Net for making sure researchers have access to brains to study so a greater understanding of what goes on in the brains of people with autism can be determined. If you want to learn more about this, go to www.takesbrains.org. One of the papers written by Dr. Jachiko Bloom and his student, Dr. Prem, and colleague, Dr. Milenig, say, quote, a look at the brains of individuals with ASD through both postmortem and imaging studies have shown us that, in fact, individuals with ASD have alterations in brain structure or function. However, there is no single defining pathological or functional change seen in the ASD brain. Yet the de- changes observed in the ASD brain suggest abnormalities in development. Brain tissue is the best method for studying what goes on in the brains of people with autism on a cellular level. But of course, this research has disadvantages. There's not really enough tissue to study, and also they are taken from people already with a diagnosis. They're not taken when the disorder first starts and changes begin to take place in the brain. That's actually prenatal development. For that, you have to get to before the neurons are actually in place in the brain. So how can scientists really understand the developing brain on a level all the way from conception to birth and even to a diagnosis? Well, after birth, scientists use techniques to understand directly from brain activity, brain structure, and function to figure out when biological markers of ASD emerge, which turns out to be even before behavior. So how early can you go? The differences start as early as the formation of the neural tubes a few days after conception. So decades ago, scientists relied on something called embryonic stem cells. They were obtained from miscarriages or even families who had gone through IVF and had embryos to donate. But embryos don't have an ASD diagnosis. It's really an incomplete view of what happens specifically in ASD very early on and what stages of development are more or less sensitive. We all know that there were years of ethical debate over the use of embryos. There were never enough, and they were always restricted, and it was an imperfect model to begin with. So luckily in 2006, scientists from Japan figured out how to generate embryonic stem-like cells, not exactly embryonic cells, but a lot like them, by taking cells from a person and then administering different retroviral vectors, which are like viruses, and turning them back into induce pluripotent stem cells. So you take a somatic cell, which is skin or tooth pulp, for example, and then scientists treat them with these vectors and turn them back into early stem cells. 
This means they look like stem cells and they could form all three germ levels of an embryo. And then through other treatments, they form different types of cells like neural cells or cardiac cells. They're called pluripotent, meaning they could make many more cells. You could make batches and batches. Since this has been going on for a lot of years, scientists have actually found that with each batch they make, there are sub subtle differences compared to the last batch. So that's something to consider and possibly something that needs to be better studied if we're going to think of these cells as being models of autism spectrum disorder. Some scientists are using the technology to do things like cure spinal cord paralysis. They inject these induced pluripotent stem cells or embryonic cells into the spine to repair them. Of course, this has some problems that I won't get into because it's really too early to worry about injecting cells into someone with ASD. First, scientists need to better understand the processes involved with ASD. It starts in the embryo. It's influenced by both environmental and genetic factors. And that as far as exposures go, the first and trimester are particularly sensitive to exposures. But as much as spinal cord injury is precise and delicate and has taken years to personalize treatment and perfect the intervention, autism spectrum disorders are still many times more complex. And scientists really need to better understand what goes on very, very early in the brain, even as early as conception. I don't need to go over this with anyone in the audience, so I'll keep this part short. Autism is heterogeneous. Yes, stop the press's big news. Each person with autism is different. That must be the theme of every autism talk I've heard this year. But the concept pervades not just what treatment each person needs, what services will be most useful, but it goes to the very nature of the underlying biology of autism. Autism has many genetic and environmental factors involved. There are different symptoms, different features, different severities of symptoms. There's also different neuroanatomy. Some people with ASD, for example, have a huge head and others have a normal size head. Some have immune markers that are out of whack and some don't. Because people with autism are so different, the factors that lead up to their diagnosis must be different. So how on earth can scientists come up with one model system? Well, the truth is they can't. What they do is create different models. They can start with rare genetic forms of ASD. These include diseases like Rett syndrome, Fragile X, tuberous sclerosis, phelan McDermott syndrome, AZNP syndrome, SCN2A, the list goes on and on. They include the 20 plus genes so far that have been associated with rare genetic disease and autism. In most cases, people with these rare genetic forms of autism have things like seizures, intellectual disability, and minimal language, but that's not always the rule, it's just the trend. If scientists can see early autism-specific crossover in these disorders using a model system, that may be the key that turns all the locks. That's why many researchers are collecting biological samples from people with Rett syndrome, Fragile X, tuberous sclerosis, Phelan McDermott, SCN2A, DUP15Q. Some researchers have suggested that a pathway called the mTOR pathway is the key that opens up all these locks. It's certainly important in tuberous sclerosis, which is linked to ASD, but it has its own neuropathology separate from ASD. mTOR is just one of the downstream regulated pathways that are involved in multiple disorders and diseases. Scientists take a note from cancer research where scientists are looking at driver genes that cause multiple downstream issues and multiple types of cancer in multiple different tissues. Yes, cancer is diverse, 
But scientists in that field are finding that single genes control multiple outcomes. So is this the course for autism? We're not sure, but drugs are being developed that focus on things like the mTOR pathway as potential interventions. Here's where iPSCs come in. Studying iPSCs from people with autism allows autism researchers to ask these same questions. Do many divergent mutations converge on a few signaling pathways and cell biology pathways, and can this cause a diversity of autism features? How can scientists study them? How can they be altered? Is it specific to the human brain? This, everyone, is the reason why basic biology is so important. So when you hear someone say that there are, quote unquote, too many mouse or rat studies, that's their opinion, then they're entitled to have them. But the point of these studies is to understand the basic neurobiology across different types of autisms so that better interventions can be developed and the understanding of what makes each person with autism different is better demonstrated. But most people with ASD don't have one of these mutations. Some have a type of mutation on a chromosome of interest like tiny areas of chromosome 15 or 16. It's less precise, but more like the real world. Others don't have any known genetically defined syndrome or cause. So, that, so scientists create models from these people too. They take skim cells and create iPSC lines from people with no known genetic disorder. That's called idiopathic. Or they make models with different clinical symptoms. For example, people with specific language impairment versus autism spectrum disorders. And again, when I say iPSC models, this is what I mean. They take skin cells or pulp from baby teeth or some other tissue. They put them in a dish. They add those vectors and create stem cells. Then they look at the development of these cells in particular windows, like days to weeks after they were generated. Scientists look for things like neurite outgrowth and, and migration. They also look at dendrite outgrowth and synaptogenesis, which is the formation of connection between cells. In humans, this starts around gestational week 10, and for migration, stops before birth, but dendritic growth and synaptogenesis continues to a year of age. Now, how is this all done? There are actually different chemicals secreted by the brain that helps cells start to grow for processes like axons, migrate to the areas of the brains they need to go to, that's called migration, and reach out to other cells to form connections, that's called synaptogenesis. Genetic mouse models have shown that different ASD genes cause deficits in the production of some of these chemicals that guide how different brain cells go to different areas of the brain. Some chemicals control just the formation of the cells until other chemicals are released, which controls where the cells go and how they get there. And then others regulate the formation of connections. Along the way, as proteins form in the brain, they become scaffolding for more complex shaped cells. They move along that way. There are structures called microtubules in each cell, which supply energy to what I will call baby neurons and facilitate the movement of these baby neurons across space. Sometimes these things are all done by one chemical. Sometimes they're done by different chemicals. If you're interested in hearing about these growth factors and neural migration, adhesion molecules, and signaling errors, let me know. I can point you the right direction for review articles and publication, including the book that was just published about the use of induced pluripotent stem cells. The important thing about all this is that induced pluripotent stem cells are able to get at these processes. You can make a baby neuron and then watch how it grows, migrates, develops, and forms connections. Now, autism used to be considered a disorder of the synapse. Syn synapses form when brain cells connect to each other. 
That's still true, but neurobiology has revealed that multiple ASD genes discovered actually do converge and function, not just in the formation of synapses, but even before then, like in 8 to 12 weeks of brain development. They involve migration and differentiation of cells into baby brain cells. Scientists actually need to keep going backwards in development to identify the exact moment of deviation in the development of the brain. And this includes not just things that happen at the time of embryo formation, but things that could be influenced by the sperm and egg even before conception happens. This is why iPSCs are so important. Right now, they're the only way for scientists to understand what goes on at the very, very earliest times of embryonic formation when things in the brain start to go awry, when we know some of the neurobiological changes that precede an autism diagnosis take place. So hopefully now you know a little bit more about iPSCs, what they do, why they're important, and how they can be used. In the short term, we're hoping that some of these processes help us understand why people with autism are so different. But in the future, could they be used like in spinal cord injury? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I know that's kind of an equivocal answer, but it's the truth. Thank you for listening this week. Have a happy 4th of July weekend if you live in the United States. And if you live abroad, have a great weekend too. Talk to you next week.